wonder how many of us would say we grew up with a good imagination. How, how many of you feel like you grew up with a pretty good imagination? Could the, bo- could the backyard swing set become the pirate ship you saw in your mind? What about your bicycle? Did it become the fastest of police cars to catch that burglar in the neighborhood? What about all the forts you could build in the living room if you used the armchair and the sofa cushions and a blanket or two? How many of us would say we still use our imaginations? I'm proud of you, proud of you. You know, the more shows I watch, especially shows, the DIY shows or the realtor shows, where you're supposed to imagine the home renovation, right? The walls knocked down, the countertops redone, take away all the carpet. The more I see those shows, though, the more I think we really need more practice flexing that imagination muscle. I think using our imagination mostly boils down to a glorious childhood that most of us are well beyond. Last week, Richard read a poem by Billy Collins. It was called On Turning Ten. And these lines struck me. This is the beginning of sadness, I say to myself, as I walk through the universe in my sneakers It's time to say goodbye to my imaginary friends. Time to turn the first big number. There really is a point where many of us stop using our imaginations for castle building and high seas sailing. We see this happen as our children move from imagining themselves as princesses and superheroes to closing the bedroom door and imagining themselves with different parents who aren't so ridiculous, right? We tell ourselves that as we grow up and become more grounded in this doldrum that is adulthood, that we probably maybe don't need our imaginations as much. It makes me agree with Billy Collins. This leaving behind of our imaginations is the beginning of sadness. And yet, and yet at Christmas time, there seems an unspoken, sort of common agreement that we can suspend all that grown upness about ourselves. Wouldn't you agree? This time of year, more than any other time, we revel in the freedom to imagine what seems impossible, magical even. In this season, we are willing to imagine a different world, a different sort of adventure where hope and peace and joy and love become so real that we can sing them off the page as they leap to life. So I think let's, let's flex that atrophied muscle a little bit. Let's offset the sadness that accompanies the abandonment of youth. And let's together imagine something wildly joyful. Let's imagine something bold and generous. Let's imagine something splendid and risky. Are you ready? Here we go. 
Imagine, if you will, that every child, every child in the world, an estimated two billion, every single child, imagine every child gets a gift at Christmas. Imagine that every kind of family, from single people to John Boy Walton kind of families, imagine if every family, every single family unit awoke tomorrow to a splendid feast on their table. Imagine. Imagine, if you will, that everyone had a warm and welcoming place to call home. A comfortable chair, a roomy sofa, an overstuffed ottoman before a crackling fireplace, a welcomed belonging for every lonely soul. Imagine that. Imagine that Anyone who has ever been made to feel small and insignificant would awaken tomorrow feeling strong and empowered and necessary to this very life and its work in the world. That kind of imagining moves beyond childhood dreams. That's a robust imagination that tips the scales. That's an imagination that reaches deep into the well of hope. We could say it's an imagination with wings. Remember that line from Emily Dickinson? Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. What a world that would be, right? A world where people belonged, where no one went hungry, where children were always loved and safe. That's just the kind of world we want. Not just this time of year, but I think that kind of world perches in our hearts, especially this time of year. Those imaginings are the world that we truly long for, and it's the kind of world that Mary sings about in the Gospel of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We often call that Mary's Magnificat. 
And Liz Bish reminded us this week in Monday's Before Christmas devotion that the Magnificat is, is Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's song imagines a reality where because Christ is born among us, the wrongs of the world are set right. And the beautiful magic is that the kind of world that Mary sings becomes possible as soon as she imagines it. It's true, we don't usually sing those words like we sing Silent Night or Joy to the World because Mary's song is a song of upheaval. It's a song of protest against any power that thwarts God's goodness in the world. Her song of the world turning upside down in order to be right side up stirs our, our imaginations too. Because Mary's song can move us to the thrill of hope. Earlier this season, Laurie Harrell let me borrow a book by Walter Brueggemann. And it used a term I'd never heard before. And you're going to be like, Heather, I'm never going to use this in a sentence. But I don't know. Maybe it'll come up in jeopardy and you'll win. Walter Brueggemann coined a term. He says Christians have a doxological imagination. That's, yeah, right? Doxological imagination. Try to say that three times fast because I've been practicing all week. But what he's saying is doxology, of course, is Greek and Latin for giving glory in spoken or written expression. When we sing the doxology, we say, praise God from Praise God, all creatures. You don't want me to sing, trust me, by myself. Praise him above ye. Amen. I knew I could get you to do that. Thank you. You're beautiful. Turns out our scripture is full. Not, not full of facts or fiction but full of stories of people just like you and me who praise God for all sorts of things, for the glory of creation, praise for God when God intervenes in history, praise for hearing the cries of those who suffer. Mary's song becomes prophetic because it imagines an alternative to the world that we live in. It imagines a world where the hungry are fed, the lowly are lifted up in the face of the powerful, and the proud are humbled, the rich are sent away empty-handed. Mary's song, her praise for what God is doing, her doxology, imagines a world righted through the birth of Jesus. And so we practice a doxological imagination by praising God through Jesus for the world that we long for, the world that we playfully and boldly imagine each year at Christmas time. That world as we imagine it is our invitation to make it a possibility among each other. The Presbyterian Outlook. 
Uh, some of you may not have heard of it. It's a magazine for Presbyterians. I know that you didn't see that coming. But in a magazine called the Presbyterian Outlook, this month it featured a story that a minister told about her four-year-old daughter who has quite the imagination. Setting up her restaurant in the playroom, four-year-old Sierra asks her mother, what does she want to eat? A grilled cheese, her mother answers. So Sierra starts gathering up ingredients, puts something yellowish on a plate, and hands it to her mom. Oh, this is yummy, her mom says. The best grilled cheese I've ever had. Mom, Sierra rolls her eyes. That wasn't a grilled cheese. Oh, uh, what, what was it, her mother says. At this, Sierra launches into quite an epic story. Well, you can't eat a grilled cheese because we don't have any grilled cheese. The diner got really busy today, so we made a lot of grilled cheese. Stacks and stacks all the way up to the sky of grilled cheese. Then a giant, giant came, a monster, and he ate up all the grilled cheese, Mom. And then the diner caught on fire and the monster ran away. This little storyteller ended her story with, and that's why we had to move in with Jesus. Wait, what, her mother said, stunned at the plot twist? You had to move in with Jesus? Yeah, my brother and I slept in his nice comfy bed. You took Jesus' bed, her mother remarked, a little appalled. Where did Jesus sleep? In the attic, Sierra said, as if this should be obvious. He gave up his bed for us. Then the four-year-old cleared away the dishes and turned back to the diner. I mean, can't you just imagine that scene? What better way, really, is there to describe the incarnation, the birth of Jesus among us, than to say, well, Jesus, we moved in together next door. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelled among us. When Eugene Peterson wrote the message, he put John 1.14 this way, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that a wonderful reimagining of those verses? full of glory and play, praise. It's a doxological imagination. And of course, of course Jesus gave up his bed. I love that the imagination of the four-year-old teaches us that when the diner burns down, when the monster comes and eats all the grilled cheese, when people are really, really hungry, when the poor are downtrodden, and when the powerful need to be brought low and back to earth, Jesus is there. Imagine a world where when everything else goes wrong, what makes it right is the power of our doxological imagination to imagine a reality that we live with Jesus now. And he gave up his comfy bed for us. Perhaps 
as we celebrate this season, as we move into a whole new year, maybe we can stretch our imaginations to include Mary's prophetic song, the way it sings into possibility a world made right. A world that imagines a reality where the gaps are closed and the tears are mended. A world that both binds up and liberates at the same time. A world that's more gracious, more peaceful, more joyful, more hopeful, more loving. So let go of the sadness that would keep you from imagining this kind of world. The angel Gabriel told Mary nothing would be impossible with God. Imagine that. Nothing is impossible. Who wants a grilled cheese? In the name of the one who is born among us to make all wrongs right. Amen.